Welcome to this special edition of Cleary Gottlieb's Antitrust Review. We've put together a group of experts from Cleary Gottlieb's award-winning, market-leading global antitrust practice to look back at major developments in 2022 and to give their predictions for 2023. Matteo Barreto, based in Milan and Rome, as you look back to 2022, what have been the major developments? And please look forward to 2023 and tell us what you're expecting. Many thanks, Nick. 2022 has been a year of important developments in Italy. Back in August, uh, a new law came into force, uh, bringing about some key amendments to Italian competition law. And the most important ones uh, concern merger control. Number one, the traditional dominance test was finally replaced uh, by the substantive test applicable at the European Union level, so the significant impediment to effective competition test. And number two, the traditional distinction between the concentrative and the cooperative JVs, uh, which was still applicable in Italy, was finally abolished. So now in Italy, as uh, at the European Union level, all full function joint ventures qualify as uh, concentrations. The, uh, the 2022 law uh, also empowered the authority to review certain below the threshold measures echoing the approach followed by the European Commission with respect to referrals under Article 22 of the European Union Magical Door Regulation. Uh, turning to public enforcement, uh, well, public enforcement also reveals uh, some interesting trends. Uh, first of all, a growing focus on consumer protection law cases, so unfair trade practices, misleading advertising, which is an area falling uh, within the jurisdiction of the Italian Competition Authority in parallel to traditional antitrust rules. Uh, secondly, uh, traditional cartel cases uh, seem to have lost momentum. In the last 12 months, uh, only three Article 101 investigations have been opened by the Italian authority, and two of them concerned with rigging, which has always been an enforcement priority of our uh, national authority. A third aspect, uh, which is very interesting, is the increasing enforcement of Article 102 in the big tech sector with the three recent uh, cases involving Google and uh, with the Amazon case uh, decided uh, in the last few months uh, in which a record fine of over 1 billion euro was imposed by the Italian Competition Authority. Now, concerning uh, uh, 2023, uh, private enforcement continues to be steadily on the rise in Italy and uh, uh, it is expected to grow even further in 2023. Uh, in particular, a wave of follow-on uh, actions is expected if the Council of State will confirm the decision regarding the cartel in the Italian cartel market. Some mitigation funders have already started raising awareness of potentially interested claimants, and all these against the background of the experience gained during the last few years in the tax litigation, which has widely interested uh, also Italy. Uh, finally, it will be very interesting to see uh, if the Italian authority will follow uh, an aggressive and proactive stance in implementing the new powers uh, regarding below the threshold uh, mergers. So lots to look forward to in Italy in 2023. Let's move from Italy to France, based in Paris. Severin Tremec, you've had a very busy year in 2022 with Veolia Suez. What's to look forward to in 2023? Hi, Nick, and thank you so much for having me today and, and giving me the opportunity to discuss what has been, as, as you're saying, another rich and interesting year for competition law in France. And I'm not going to discuss Villiers Suez, but other interesting developments, and really they are very... Uh, very diverse and, and different cases we could discuss. Uh, and I'd like to mention just two, uh, which I think are really reassuring about how competition law is applied uh, in this country. Let's start with uh, a case from the French Competition Authority, which was really the hottest French merger case this year, the TF1 M6 merger. Um, TF1 is the French number one free-to-air television player, and in 2021, it had announced its intention to acquire control of its main competitor, M6, which had been put for sale by Betelsman. The transaction was presented by the parties as a defensive move against the rise of U.S. platforms such as Netflix or Amazon, and the consolidated group would have gathered seven TV channels, which is the maximum uh, on the TV uh, regulation in France an over 40% share uh, of TV audience and around 70% of market share in the market for TV advertising. 
the French competition authority's decision was much awaited and for many reasons. First, there was a suspicion that the FCA was under political pressure to adopt a decision favorable to the parties, notably because, according to rumors, uh, the former FCA president, Isabelle de Silva, was not renewed due to her reluctant views on the merger. And second, the FCA had to take position on complex issues, in particular whether VOD providers such as Netflix and Amazon compete with TV broadcasting, and whether online advertising competes with TV advertising. After months uh, of in-depth investigation and proposals of remedies, the transaction was withdrawn by the parties because it was clear that the FCA was about to prohibit it. The FCA did not adopt a formal decision in this context, but it did issue a press release and commented on the case, suggesting that it was not convinced by the party's argument to include VOD in the same market as TV broadcasting or online advertising in the same market as TV advertising. In any event, this outcome was seen as a confirmation that the FCA is a fully functional independent authority and that its new president, Benoit Coré, uh, will not be influenced. I also want to mention briefly a litigation decision and really 2022 has been a special year uh, from a litigation perspective, a year where the Paris Court of Appeals sent several reminders to the FCA, uh, you know, really telling the FCA that it has uh, to abide by a legal uh, test, to, by strict legal test in its decision and that it cannot uh, have unlimited leeway in the creativity it applies in its decision. In the Apple case in particular, the FCA had imposed a 1.1 billion euro fine on Apple, uh, notably for RPM, resale price maintenance practices. And the Paris Court of Appeal quashed the FCA decision. Uh, it did accept the FCA's views that RPM can be established by any means, but uh, the Paris Court of Appeal reminded that it has to be uh, at least evidence of two things. First, an invitation on the supplier's part, and second, acceptance uh, of distributors. But uh, it noted that the FCA had not shown that Apple invited the distributor to comply with its recommended prices and that the distributor were never, in fact, prevented from selling products below recommended prices. And it concluded that mere existence of parallel behavior is not enough uh, to characterize RPM. So this judgment and also a few others shows that the FCA must abide by strict and reliable analytical framework and that it cannot indefinitely expand competition law concepts. What to expect for 2023 very briefly? Uh, it looks like this year will be uh, a year on which the FCA will tackle important question and uh, a question that is as important as the role of antitrust law. On several occasions recently, the FCA has expressed the view that competition law should cover not only economic price-related considerations, but also wider issues relating to consumer welfare, health, environment protection. In September this year, the FCA appointed the first head of the Sustainable Development Network it created in 2019 with 20 case handlers. And in 2021, uh, it opened an investigation which really was ongoing this year and which we expect uh, to result on a decision next year relating to public messages conveyed by food manufacturers, packaging companies, and trade associations when the law prohibiting bisphenol A in food packaging was adopted um, a few years ago. Um, so this decision should really uh, set whether competition law in France can defend health uh, objectives. More generally, uh, again, yesterday I was hearing the president of the French Competition Authority explaining that he hopes to find practical ways to pursue sustainability through competition law in 2023. So we'll see how uh, this uh, will translate in practice. And I, I'm looking forward very much to see what 2023 will bring. Severine, thank you very much. Our next guest spends his life shuttling between Paris and Brussels, Antoine Van Clare, so an appropriate segue from, uh, uh, from France to the EU. Antoine, as you look back to 2022, what developments would you uh, single out and what are your predictions for 2023? So that's a, a difficult question, Nick. Um, obviously, there have been a number of important merger cases, a number of them um, involving French companies, and Severine here, uh, who's with us, was extremely active in defending both of these cases. I'm thinking of Violia Suez and um, Lagardère, which is an ongoing case. Um, Nick, I can't discuss very much the on ongoing case, except that it's going to be interesting 
as far as uh, we can see from public comments, um, it's going to be interesting in terms of what types of remedies are acceptable by the Commission in the merger context, and in particular whether um, um, a remedy consisting of an IPO can be acceptable to the uh, to the Commission. Otherwise, as you know, uh, and Thomas, whose I see is also will be speaking later. There are a number of very important developments in terms of uh, the IT area, uh, the implementation of the DMA, and a number also of interesting uh, cases involving the platforms. But I will let Thomas discuss those cases uh, later on. Thank you, Nate. Thanks, Antoine. Let me turn to Thomas Graff in Brussels. Thomas, what's been the major development in your judgment in 2022? And what are your predictions for 2023? Thank you, Nick. Um, so I would like to focus on uh, developments in behavioral antitrust rules. And I would pick as the major developments of 22. I would pick the Intel Rongard judgment of the General Court. And I think it is significant because it shows that the court can review uh, critically and in detail complex questions of pricing, and it can distinguish between uh, a proper pricing analysis and elements of a pricing analysis where the commission might make mistakes. Uh, and my hope uh, for 23 is that this sort of review that is being applied now uh, in uh, pricing cases would also apply in other behavioral matters outside uh, pricing behavior. Uh, I wanted to pick also one additional judgment as a major uh, development, which is the, the NL uh, judgment of the Court of Justice. And I think that one is significant because it precisely clarifies a number of matters outside uh, pricing behavior. Uh, and there are two particular points that I would like to highlight. The first one is that the court clarifies that an abuse of dominance uh, requires both conduct that deviates from competition on the merits and restrictive effects. And these are two independent conditions that the commission needs to establish. And the second point is, that the court clarifies that um, the commission needs to do an efficient competitor test also for non-pricing behavior. That is, the commission needs to show that the restrictive effects that the conduct of the dominant co uh, company creates, that they are capable of foreclosing equally efficient uh, rivals. So this is not a test that is limited to pricing behavior, but uh, applies also outside pricing. And now looking forward to uh, 23, I uh, expect two important developments. First, um, outside the sort of traditional antitrust, the Digital Markets Act will come into force and uh, will be applied for the commission. In 23, major platforms will need to notify their, their digital platforms to the Commission. The Commission will adopt decisions uh, whether these platforms fall on the DMA, and the digital platforms will then have to work on compliance uh, with the DMA rules. And in parallel, outside the DMA, the Commission has a whole series of behavioral cases still under um, existing antitrust rules against digital platforms, and it will be interesting to see how those will be reconciled with the DMA, and also how they will be reconciled with these uh, um, uh, court judgments that I just discussed. Thank you, Thomas. So an awful lot to anticipate in 2023, particularly in the area of digital regulation when a whole new world comes into being. So let me turn now to the UK and to Jackie Holland based in London. The last few years, as listeners will know, have been extraordinarily interesting ones in the UK as the CMA has forged a new path in merger control and other areas of enforcement. Jackie, as you look back to 2022, what are the main 
developments you'd single out? And as you look forward to 2023, what should we be looking for? Well, thanks, Nick. It's certainly been a very busy year in the UK, so I have plenty to choose from. Um, I've picked out two developments from this year. Um, the first is a judgment from our appeal court, the Competition Appeal Tribunal, on the framework the CMA should use for assessing dynamic competition in mergers. This was in the context of Meta's appeal against the CMA's prohibition of its acquisition of Giphy. Under the CATS framework, the CMA should start by considering the current market position. They then should identify the dynamic developments that they expect to happen in the next five years from the parties and others, assess whether these dynamic developments are likely to be successful or, in their words, duds. So the million dollar question for the CMA is going to be you know, whether, whether this makes any difference to their assessment of mergers, especially in the digital space. Um, it's often a, a key question for the CMA whether an acquisition of a small nascent business is pro-competitive because the acquisition will provide greater resources to enable the newer business to take off and succeed. And that would not have happened in the counterfactual without the acquisition or whether the merger is actually anti-competitive, preventing the emergence of an independent competitor, or even if it could be a so-called killer acquisition. I'm not sure that the CAT judgment will make this any easier. So in practice, the CMA will probably likely continue to focus on whether the deal valuation seems high in light of the target's turnover level. Um, they'll be looking at what the party's internal documents say about the target's competitive position and its potential, and whether the CMA has received complaints from customers or competitors. My second pick from the year is the new UK national security regime. We're almost 12 months in and have become used to pouring our way through the guidance on the 17 sectors that are covered by the regime and explaining to clients that it has a very wide reach, catching UK acquirers as well as non-UK ones. And we've got to grips with navigating the online notification system. Um, as to my predictions for 2023, I expect the CMA to continue being very active and keeping us all busy. There have been a uh, there are a number of phase two market uh, sorry merger reviews underway, such as Microsoft Activision, as well as a phase two market investigation into mobile browsers and the distribution of cloud gaming. So it'll be interesting to track those next year. We can also expect the CMA to prioritise cases that relate in some way to the cost of living crisis in the UK. The CMA published its draft annual plan um, just recently and noted it will focus, for example, on areas of essential spending, such as accommodation and caring for um, yourselves and others, as well as digital markets. On the consumer side, they're going to focus on practices such as pressure selling and false or misleading pricing practices, as well as online choice architecture. We're also expecting next year to have some draft legislation introduced to Parliament to implement the proposed new UK digital regulatory regime and a raft of changes to competition and consumer law. In many ways, the most significant change other than the digital regulatory regime um, we'll be giving the CMA the power to issue infringement decisions in consumer enforcement cases and the power to fine up to 10% of worldwide turnover for breaches of consumer law. This is a very significant change from the current position where the CMA needs to go to court to prove an infringement and does not have fining powers. Let's turn now to Germany and my partner in Cologne, Romina Polly. Romina, as you look back on 2023, to and look forward to 2023, what would you single out as the most interesting development of 2022? And what's your prediction for the coming year? First of all, thank you, Nick, uh, for inviting me to contribute to this podcast. I think uh, 2022 was clearly dedicated to enforcement in digital markets. The FCO made use of its new powers um, under Section 19A um, of the German Act against restrictions of competition, a new provision that was introduced on the occasion of the 10th Amendment of the Competition Act last year. 
And the idea behind it is to uh, allow the FCO faster and more effective intervention against powerful digital ecosystems. This year, the FCO focused mainly on the designation process. Uh, section 19 uh, yeah, enables uh, the FCO to designate companies with paramount cross-market power based on a holistic assessment of network effects, um, markets position on uh, specific services and access to data, for example. And not surprisingly, Alphabet, Meta, and Amazon have been found to be addressees of the provision because the legislator explicitly targeted these companies. Um, only Amazon has launched an appeal against the designation. Melfa, Meta and Alphabet have accepted it. Designation proceedings against Apple are still pending and significant resources have gone into this process at the FCO, which is slightly surprising because yeah, the law was meant to cover big tech companies. But there was also, yeah, first uh, proceedings on the prohibited conduct, the second step in the 19A uh, provision, the FCO can prohibit self-preferencing, tying, bundling, certain data practices and others. And the conduct is uh, presumptively illegal, but addressees can advance justifications. So several proceedings are currently pending before the FCO, again involving Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, as well as Apple. Some have been launched under the traditional abuse of dominance framework first and been extended to 19A. For example, a case against Amazon's practices on its marketplace, alleged brand gating, and another proceeding against Apple regarding its app tracking transparency network has been directly launched under 19A. What is interesting is the FCO could announce a first success uh, this November on the prohibited conduct because Meta offered to change its practice regarding the use of the Oculus virtual reality headset after it heard, had heard the FCO's um, preliminary assessment under 19A. Meta had made the use of the headset conditional on the user also using a Facebook account and section 19A2 uh, targets tying practices. So Meta agreed to abandon this practice and will in the future offer the headset service without the use of a Facebook account. If you ask me what will come next year, I think there will be continued focus on um, the 19A enforcement. Uh, we will see probably interesting cases uh, regarding data practices of uh, Meta and Alphabet. Um, it's about uh, cross-service um, um, data use uh, and the question how granular user consent needs to be. Um, uh, the interesting question on that is, um, yeah, how does the test under 19A relate to the Facebook uh, case? that is still not uh, finally decided, but uh, currently pending before the European Court of Justice. And the second very interesting question is, how does uh, the 19A relate to Article 5.2 of the DMA that also covers cross-service use of data? Romina, thank you very much. Let me turn now to Brussels and to Isabel Rooms. Isabel, if you look back over 2022, look forward to 2023, tell us what are the developments you'd single out for the past year and what you predict for the next year. 2022 has been a fascinating year in antitrust. We've seen a spate of new legislation in Europe with the DMA, DSA and foreign subsidies regulation all being adopted in 2022. So interesting times are ahead as to how the enforcement of these new tools will coexist with traditional competition law enforcement. Looking at these more traditional enforcement tools, I'd say the disciplining judgments of the EU General Court in Intel and Qualcomm have really stood out to me. They're proof of effective judicial review in Europe, which has at times been questioned. 
They serve as a good reminder of the importance of procedural due process. And this is the case not just for the investigation itself and the need to keep records, but also to affirm the need for consistency and rigor in economic analysis. Also on substance, they validate an effects-based approach in abuse of dominance cases, showing that the capability for conduct to have anti-competitive effects cannot be merely theoretical and must be based on analysis of all relevant facts and robust economic analyses. These judgments confirm that authorities really have to engage with the arguments and analysis put forward by dominant companies. As the only LTE chipset supplier able to meet Apple's technical specifications for iPhones, there was no contestable demand and so no competition to restrict. This meant that Qualcomm's exclusivity payments could, could not have had any effect on Apple's decision to single source and they could not have prevented switching. The Intel saga in turn offers more comfort and flexibility for dominant companies to engage in discounting practices, similar to their non-dominant counterparts, provided, of course, that they still allow for as efficient competitors to compete. Guidance has finally been provided as to how the potential for anti-competitive effects of loyalty discounts by a dominant company should be assessed. This basically depends on the market coverage of the rebate scheme, its duration, as well as the amount, cost, and corresponding conditions of the scheme. This decisional practice confirms that it is key for antitrust authorities to establish the actual contestability of demand when looking to show that a pricing practice is capable of having anti-competitive effects and then to demonstrate how that demand could be affected. I'd like to end with a quick note on Belgium, where the Brussels Market Court has also been called upon to exercise judicial review, with pending appeals against the BCA's decision to fine tobacco companies for allegedly exchanging competitively sensitive information through wholesalers and the pending appeal against the BCA's clearance decision in, in a conglomerate media merger, all to be decided in 2023. So also in Belgium, the courts are keeping the Belgian Competition Authority honest. The authority itself has seen a surge of merger notifications in 2022 and has been working hard on organizing itself efficiently to free up resources to tackle more behavioral cases and do so in shorter timeframes. All this under the lead of its new Prosecutor General, Damien Girard. In this regard, they also launched a new whistleblowing tool where complaints can securely and fully anonymously be submitted. So another space to watch, I'd say. I have no doubt 2023 will equally be a very exciting year for antitrust policy. While we are likely to see a drop in M&A volumes, I expect regulatory scrutiny to remain high, especially in tech, healthcare, and other sensitive sectors through the proliferation of merger control for an investment and, as of the second half of 2023, the foreign subsidies regulation, which will look to level the playing field in Europe for financial support granted by EU and non-EU states. I'm also curious to see how the EC's broader industrial policy objectives are going to influence DJ Comp's traditional competition enforcement policy. One area that is particularly close to my heart is sustainability, where I'm a firm believer that the EC should take more of a leap of faith, not least in support of its own Green Deal. Like most, however, I fear the EC's horizontal guidance on sustainability agreements that is to come out mid-next year will remain too cautious. This is a missed chance to give comfort to players in Europe, but also a missed opportunity to drive change at the international level, similar to what the EC is trying to do with the DMA. A more liberal and less rule-driven approach to sustainability corporations would leave scope for joint initiative and joint innovation where it can make a difference. The fact that innovation and ESG are important features of competition and that you want companies to push themselves on these fronts and compete on these parameters should not stand in the way of allowing cooperation that brings demonstrable broader societal benefits, even if this is without immediate quantifiable benefits for consumers. We should all care about our planet and strive to make this a long-term sustainable place to live. To this end, I also hope the Commission's conservative approach will not have a chilling effect on practices in various EU member states. The Dutch ACM in particular has ruled on a number of cases in recent months, enabling spe specific sustainability cooperation projects to take place in the Netherlands. On the Belgian front, it will be interesting to see if the Belgian Competition Authority will bring 
more abusive economic dependency cases in 2023, especially now that it's been granted additional operating budget and has put in place a merger finding fee to recoup some of its operating costs. While the BCA has had this competency for a few years now, the enforcement of these rules has not been a priority. There has been private litigation, but with very inconsistent outcomes. In this regard, the BCA has recently issued an opinion on a pending licensing dispute before the Brussels courts, suggesting it is suggesting it considers an abuse of economic dependency protection to apply mainly where there is or has been a contractual relationship that formed the basis of that dependency. With reportedly at least two cases under investigation, query if further guidance and precedence from the Belgian Competition Authority are forthcoming in 2023. Thank you very much. Let's turn to the US. Bruce Hoffman, former director of the Bureau of Competition at the FTC. Tell us, what do you think was the most interesting development in 2022? And what are your predictions for 2023? Thanks, Nick. So I'll give three quick developments from 2022 that I think were quite interesting. And then three predictions. On the developments, number one, the agencies, the FTC and DOJ together, managed to have a historically bad record in merger litigation, um, losing more merger challenges in court in a single year than I think they may have ever lost before uh, in a single year, but certainly far below their normal roughly 80% win rate. I think their current win rate is something for this last year is something around 17%, um, which is something that they will obviously want to correct. Second, the historic collapse in morale at the FTC um, is really breathtaking and unprecedented. The FTC is an agency that has been routinely ranked in employee confidential employee surveys as one of the absolute best agencies in the federal government. Uh, this year, it fell to one of the worst. It fell as, as an agency ranked among its size by incomparable agencies. It fell from number two out of 24 comparably sized agencies to number 22 out of 24. The Bureau of Competition, which I used to held to, uh, to lead, I'm sorry, had an even bigger collapse, falling from number three out of 411 agencies or agency subcomponents to number 401 out of 432. This, th I think this may be the biggest collapse in morale at any government agency in the history of this particular tracker, and that runs across all agencies across the entire federal government. So that's obviously something that FTC leadership will have to pay some attention to and try to remedy. The third big development, I think, would be the failure of any major antitrust legislation to pass. Uh, the year started with a whole raft of uh, efforts to change the antitrust laws in a number of ways, and it looks at this point as if none of them, with the possible exception of a statute that adjusts merger filing fees and also has some other provisions relating to where cases brought by state attorneys general can be heard. Looks like that's the only one that may pass out of all the various legislative efforts. So that's quite an interesting outcome given the scope and scale and energy spent on efforts to change US antitrust legislation. So that was 2022. Predictions for 2023. One, I think there will be another run at significant antitrust legislation, but I think the environment will be so challenging that it's going to be very difficult to pass anything. Um, that's largely because while there is an agreement among Republicans and Democrats that something should be done about technology companies, there's no agreement about what should be done or why things should be done. There's a fundamental disconnect between the Republicans and Democrats over what the problem is, if there is a problem with tech companies. Uh, and I think that fundamental misalignment will make tech-specific legislation difficult to pass. And I think with divided government, broader antitrust legislation is very improbable. Can never rule things out in Congress, but I think it's unlikely. Second, obviously, we expect to receive new merger guidelines. Uh, the FTC and DOJ have been working on updating the 2010 merger guidelines, so we'll see new ones. I think the big question will be whether these guidelines receive the kind of acceptance and deference, particularly in courts, that the prior guidelines did. The prior guidelines were very successful because courts viewed them as neutral, objective, 
and based on state-of-the-art economic thinking. If these guidelines are not perceived as neutral and objective and state-of-the-art, then I suspect the courts may reject them, but we'll see what they say. There's a lot of work has gone into preparing them. Uh, and then third, I think we're going to see an effort by the FTC to bring more litigation. The Notwithstanding um, the fanfare about changes in leadership at the FTC, the actual rate of merger challenges and conduct cases brought by the FTC has been very low, I think probably close to historic lows um, with no major conduct cases initiated and a relatively low rate of merger challenges. Um, I think the FTC will try to change that. I think it's gonna be somewhat hampered by the morale collapse and an enormous loss of talent uh, as the attrition in the staff has been very high, including a lot of talented um, senior and mid-level managers who'd be the kinds of people who would build litigation cases. But I do think there will be a real effort in the agency to try to get some cases out the door. It's unclear exactly what areas there will be they will be in, but I think we'll see some attempt to bring cases and then we'll see if they succeed. So those are my that's my summary of 2022 and predictions of 2023. Bruce, thank you very much. I'd like to turn now to Dan Covey, who's also based in DC. Dan, tell us about the most notable developments in 2022 and your predictions for 2023. So in terms of looking back at 2022, actually, Bruce stole most of my trends. And like him, I think that the historic litigation losses and issues with FTC management are big stories. And in fact, uh, there, there have just been released some new employer survey results in which the a staff trust in FTC management has fallen even further since last year, which is is pretty shocking and disappointing. Um, but in order not to be repetitive, I'll uh, I'll mention an additional item, which I think goes along with the the those things, which is the increasing level of adversarialness in in merger review in the U.S. At the agencies, we are really seeing a huge degree of micromanagement by the political appointees and, you know, what used to be pretty routine staff decisions about things like the custodians whose files to search, uh, the scope of information requests and document requests, and really an attitude more of, uh, we don't care about the burden on you, um, an unwillingness to make even minor compromises. So that has really meant taking a lot more self-help. And unlike in other jurisdictions in the U.S., the onus is on the agencies to go to court if they want to try to stop the clock. And that's something they've only done a few times in, in history and really never in, in recent memory. Uh, but it certainly has created increased cost and delay. And, you know, when you do have to take that self-help, some uncertainty for for clients, and I expect that to continue. Uh, in 2023, in, I think in addition to, uh, you know, continued uh, high-stakes litigation, the, the biggest changes are likely to be to the merger guidelines and also to the merger notification form. I know Bruce spoke before about, uh, the guidelines and how those may change. So I'll focus on the form. Um, the FTC leadership in particular has spoken approvingly of the form CO process in Europe as an example. I will say that if, if the U.S. merger review form were to head in that direction, that would be a very dramatic departure from current practice uh, where the current form involves no advocacy, advocacy at all, uh, and it's it's really very difficult to have a dispute, uh, a legitimate dispute about whether or not the the U.S. HSR form is complete. And the result of that is, you know, there's really no concept of of pre notification or uncertainty around when you'll actually be able to make the filing in the U.S., which uh, you know has really provided a lot more certainty and predictability for the process here. So. I would expect any changes that move in that direction and effectively give the agency a lot more control over saying whether a filing is complete or not to generate pretty huge opposition. And in fact, you know, that might be something that leads us to see the first ever court challenge 
to changes in the HSR regulations. I also expect a a, a very aggressive court challenge to uh, uh, the recent FTC rule uh, banning non-competes, uh, which was was just brought out um, a few days ago here in the new year. Um, and will have very wide-ranging implications for employer-employee relationships, uh, you know, across the board in the U.S. And and I think we'll uh, that would be the first competition rulemaking um, on the FTC side. They do have consumer protection rules, and, and I expect a big dispute about whether they actually have the authority to make rules on that side of their. Uh, jurisdiction, uh, as well as to the scope of the rule. So a lot of interesting questions coming up in 2023. So let me turn to Patrick Bork, who's also in Brussels. Patrick, as you look back to 2022, what do you see as the most interesting developments? And as you look forward to 2023, tell us about your predictions. Well, thanks, Nick. Um... 2022 has definitely been another interesting and, and active year in competition and antitrust developments and enforcement uh, in Europe. Um, whether you consider merger control developments or you look at investigations in the abuse or restrictive practice areas, or you focus on the introduction of new guidelines and legislation, such as the new vertical restraints, block exemption regulation and guidelines, or the Digital Markets Act, a lot has happened. Um, if I had to pick a single set of events, though, it would probably settle on the developments around Article 22 of the EU merger regulation and its application in Illumina Grail. Um, the Illumina Grail case, of course, is interesting for a whole number of reasons, including that it marks the first merger prohibition decision by the Commission in a vertical case in a long time and probably the first ever on, on uh, an innovation theory of harm. Um, it's the first merger under the EUMR to be subject to subjected to interim hold separate measures. It's likely to yield a record gun jumping fine after the parties knowingly closed over the commission's ongoing investigation. So really a lot of firsts, but probably the most interesting first is that it's the first case um, following below national and EU merger control thresholds to be referred to the commission under article 22. Um, as, as probably everyone will remember, back in March of last year, the Commission had issued a guidance paper encouraging national competition authorities to refer to the EC transactions that don't meet national merger control thresholds, but which may still threaten to significantly impact competition in the EU. Um, even suggesting that such referrals would be appropriate for up to 12 months after deal closing. A month after issuing that guidance, it indeed received referrals of the Illumina case from several national competition authorities. The parties appealed those referrals on, on various grounds, including that Article 22 was not intended to allow for referrals of cases that fall below the merger control thresholds. The general court uh, on appeal disagreed finding that Article 22 quite intentionally did not specify that NCAs may only refer transactions over which they have jurisdiction under their national merger control rules. Um, considering not just the wording of Article 22, but also its historical context and purpose, the court found that Article 22 was meant to be a corrective mechanism intended to remedy, as the court put it, control deficiencies inherent in a system based principally on turnover thresholds. Um, and that because of its rigidity was not capable of covering all transactions that merit examination at European level. Now, maybe just one final point on this, on this development, the parties are appealing the judgment to the European Court of Justice, but in the meantime, its implications for transactions are being hotly debated. Um, parties to the transactions or to any transactions need to at least consider and potentially even plan for some review of the transaction by the EC even where they where the transaction falls below EU or and national merger control thresholds, particularly where the target is a nascent competitor, an, an important innovator, actual or potential important competitive force, has access to competitively significant assets or, or provides key inputs for other industries. And finally, where deal certainty and closing deadlines are critical, parties do need to at least consider approaching the commission and member states early to have help address any concerns. Member states, of course, have 15 working days to make a referral as of the point when a transaction becomes known to them. So formally putting them on notice 
starts a three-week clock and can help create deal certainty. So that's my probably the biggest development uh, and the one that's probably most been talked about in, in 2022. Um, for 2023, I fully anticipate 2023 to be another exciting year in antitrust and, and, and in the competition space in Europe. Um, I think we'll see continued robust enforcement across the board, and in particular in the digital tech and, and pharma areas. Um, you have the DMA and the DSA that have now come into force. It'd be interesting to see how the commission takes on its novel role as an enforcer of a sector-specific regulation and how it coordinates with national authorities and manages complementary national legislation. As a next big step, the commission is now seeking comments on a draft DMA implementing regulation that would come into force in the first quarter of 2023. It will also need to designate gatekeepers under the DMA and, and those gatekeepers will need to share how they envisage, envisage compliance with the DMA's rules. Apart from, the new, from its new role as enforcer of the DMA, um, with the foreign subsidy regulation now adopted, and also expected to fully enter into force by the middle of next year, the commission will also be empowered to investigate companies active in the EU who've received non-EU public subsidies. So that's similar to the EU state aid regime uh, in that it, the idea is to level the playing field and address distortions to competition caused by non-EU subsidies. Among other elements, the FSR will bring with it an additional merger notification requirement for large transactions. So if one party has over 500 million in revenues and the parties combined receive total non-EU financial contributions over 50 million, a merger control notification or merger notification would be required. And I'd say the last thing for 2023 that I'd be on the lookout for is that it'll be interesting to see to what extent the commission and national competition authorities are influenced by some of the novel, expanding, non-pricing theories of harm now being discussed on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, to what extent, for example, vertical foreclosure theories and innovation theories of harm become a greater focus? To what extent sustainability, employment, or data protection considerations play a role? Whether in mergers, vertical, horizontal collaborations, restrictive practices, or even in abuse cases. So there's a lot to look out for and, uh, and to look forward for in, in 2023. Thank you very much, Patrick. Chen Zhenhuang, you're one of our experts in Chinese antitrust. Tell us what you think were the most interesting developments in Chinese enforcement over the past year, and what are your predictions for 2023? 2022 saw the new Chinese anti-monopoly law take effect in August. This is the first amendment of the law since it came into effect in 2008. Key highlights of the amendments on merger control include introduction of stop-the-clock mechanism, emphasis once again that the Chinese authority has the power to investigate mergers that are below the notification thresholds but may have anti-competitive effect, introduction of classified and graded review system, such system includes delegating the review of some simplified procedure cases to local authorities in Beijing, Shanghai, Guangdong, Chongqing, and Shanxi. And the draft implementing rules proposed to revise merger control notification thresholds by increasing the current revenue-based thresholds and adding a market value-based threshold. And then on the conduct front, the new law introduces three noteworthy provisions. First, a new standalone provision underscoring the illegality of restrictive conduct based on data advantage in algorithm, technology or capital, and platform rules. Second, the safe harbor concept for vertical agreements. And third, a new standalone provision prohibiting companies from organizing or facilitating restrictive agreements. This is intended to target the hub in a hub and spoke agreement. In terms of legal liability, the new law introduces personal liability largely for engaging in restrictive agreements, increases fines for several anti-competitive behavior, obstruction of investigation, and a failure to file or gun jumping. And 
and introduces some aggregated sanctions, which allows agency to increase the maximum fine to two to five times of the statutory amount in case of very serious violation. After this introduction to the significant legislative development, let's talk about enforcement. SMR continues to consider non-antitrust factors such as industrial policy, national security, and trade policies during its enforcement. As part of its tech-lash, SMR conducted several exclusive dealing investigations against domestic tech platforms and dozens of failure-to-file cases involving each of the major domestic tech firms, including Jindong, Alibaba, Tencent, and Meituan. Outside the tax sector, enforcement focus areas for conduct cases continue to be price fixing, RPM, and abuse of dominance in pharmaceuticals, construction materials, and utility. So, as you can see, 2022 has been eventful. Looking forward, in 2023, the new implementing rules of the amended anti-monopoly law. And the new judicial interpretation governing antitrust civil lawsuit will likely be promulgated during 2023. Given the stop-the-clock mechanism and the current geopolitical environment, an even longer merger review timeline for certain high-profile cases is expected. In terms of conduct enforcement, while SMR is expected to continue to focus on pharmaceutical, construction material, and utility sectors, 2023 may see fewer cases in the digital economy, given that the Chinese government has begun to soften its stance on heavy regulation in the digital and tech sector. So thank you very much for joining us today. I can't resist、um, giving my own perspective on the questions that I frame to others. If I were to single out、uh, four developments over the past year of particular interest, I'd mention the following: the rhetoric of the U.S. agency heads, the introduction of the DMA in Europe, the growth of private litigation、uh, across Europe. And the CMA's continued readiness to call in transactions and prohibit mergers. And as to 2023, we'll clearly be keenly watching the way in which the European Commission starts to implement and apply the DMA, together with the implications that legislation has for the bringing of individual cases against the big tech giants. We'll also be looking at the U.S. merger guidelines. Very interesting to see what they say. And two cases I would single out: the Microsoft Activision case before the FTC, the European Commission, and the CMA, principally focused on a vertical foreclosure concern, and the Illumina Grail transaction, the hearing by the General Court of Illumina's appeal of the Commission's prohibition decision. And the hearing by the Court of Justice of Illumina's appeal of the General Court's determination that the Commission was empowered to have jurisdiction over the transaction at all. So, thank you to everyone for listening. I wish you all a happy and successful 2023, and look forward to another run of Clearly Gottlieb podcasts.